Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. More than 200 people are languishing in Missouri jails, their cases stalled as they wait an average of eight months behind bars. But they're not just awaiting trial, they're awaiting mental health treatment. And the waitlist they're on reflects multiple problems in Missouri's correction system, shortages in staffing and funding, a lack of facilities, and too many referrals to handle at once. If eight months sounds like a long time, it is. But it's better than the average 11 months it took before this summer. The improvement in the backlog was among several details observed by Clara Bates during a Mental Health Commission meeting last month. Clara covers social services and poverty as a reporter for the Missouri Independent, and she joins us now. Clara, welcome back to St. Louis on the Air. Thank you for having me. So there are a lot of people waiting for trial in Missouri jails. And I'm guessing that many of these folks could really use mental health care of some kind. But the 200 plus people that I mentioned in the introduction, they're in a situation where the courts have said this person is required to get mental health treatment. Clara, what situations are we talking about here? Yeah, that's exactly right. So to stand trial in these cases, the court has ordered that they need treatment, otherwise they wouldn't be able to understand the charges against them and participate in their own defense. So this could be anyone um, who is charged with a crime. It's a problem um, nationally and researchers have noted that some people are waiting who've been charged with low-level misdemeanors. So Mm -hmm. they might be waiting for actually longer than they would serve if they were convicted of the crime. Okay. So um, examples could be, you know, shoplifting, trespassing, and the um, some of the people might be have schizophrenia or other severe mental illnesses those would be causes for the court to order treatment before they can stand trial okay so the range then sounds very broad I mean are these people who may not be competent to stand trial I mean you've mentioned schizophrenia as one of sort of a pre-existing condition I mean how does the state determine that Yeah, so um, they have an assessment process where a forensic evaluator would meet with the person after a court orders a competency evaluation. And then if the forensic examiner finds them um, not competent to stand trial, then that's when the court orders restoration services. But I think it's important to note that in Missouri, there can be delays at every level. So even after um, you've met with a forensic examiner and have um, been found incompetent to stand trial, then the court needs to um, order that. And then you can also be still be waiting to get that actual treatment. And um, treatment could include things like prescription medication and, and therapy um, and others that would allow you to be competent to stand trial. Mm-hmm. And is it the case that people spend those eight months waiting in jail, Clara? 
Yeah, exactly. Many are in solitary confinement away from the rest of the incarcerated population. This was a big issue this legislative session and my colleague Rudy Keller at The Independent wrote about it as well. But um, we heard then from many officials who work at jails that it's really challenging for staff to help these people who've been um, charged with a crime but have many of them severe mental illness so the staff aren't necessarily prepared to help or treat them and often they're confined because they might have certain behaviors or or challenges um, that they're trying to deal with away from the rest of the population in prison mm-hmm. so um, that and um, Case and Bayless has also done great reporting on this at the Star and um, I think he noted that in one family, the mother of a child who was waiting for treatment in a jail just had no idea kind of of any timeline for when he would be getting a hospital bed. And it had been actually over a year before he was finally transferred. Wow. So, I mean, solitary confinement, it sounds like it is meant to be a, a protective measure in a way, but... Mm-hmm does considerable damage. I think, yeah, the agency has acknowledged that the um, Department of Mental Health here in Missouri has acknowledged that sometimes the people's mental health conditions can actually worsen in jail. And um, that's part of the impetus, I think, for trying to bring more treatment um, to jail, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But I think, yeah, that's that's true. And and people have acknowledged that they're concerned conditions only deteriorate when you're um, kind of confined in that institution. Mm -hmm. Now, in 2003, um, a group of disability rights advocates in the state of Oregon had sued over the issue. And in that particular case, the court ruled that there is a limit of seven days on holding patients in jail. So more than that violates the Constitution. I mean, did these cases affect Missouri as well? I think um, there have been a number of these high-profile lawsuits. I don't think there have been any in Missouri. Um, They've included recently Indiana, Kansas, Pennsylvania, some others, um, several led by the ACLU there, which argue long wait times are unconstitutional because of due process. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think in Missouri we're looking to abide by a specific time frame, but yeah, it is important to note elsewhere um, there was that seven day ruling and also a variety of kind of various, you know, a month, two months limits. Um, So it is an issue nationally, but Um, I do think people here and the government here has been pretty candid about their concern, you know, that even though eight months is an improvement from July, I think uh, at the commission meeting, you know, uh, the staff there kind of characterized it as, you know, we'll take a win where we can get it, but Mm. this still is, is a challenge. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, if we sort of take a step back and look at things overall, that there's a pipeline at work here. And you'd reported in September that there were 250 people in Missouri waiting to be transferred to a state hospital. And you also wrote that there's another 50 plus people behind that group and they're waiting too. I mean, do we have a clear idea, Clara, how many people are waiting in this system in in total? And how does this pipeline work? 
Right, so we know as of the most recent data that 253 people are in jail, so they've already been found by the court to be incompetent and ordered into treatment. Um, and then I think there were 57 people who were evaluated and determined to be incompetent, but the court still has to order them into treatment. So as I mentioned earlier, there can just be delays at every stage. So that adds an additional 57. And then um, there are open evaluations. So the court has said, you know, let's look into whether this person is competent. Um, there are 267 of those open evaluations. And the state says usually around half of those are found incompetent to stand trial. So that's another 133 people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there are, um, there are more coming. And I think this has been the case for several years that there have been more referrals nationally. That's been a trend, more um, referrals for mental health treatment. And um, another important historical trend worth noting is just that there are fewer beds um, at, towards the end of the last century, there was a move away from institutionalization mm. as a treatment for psychiatric issues. Mm. And um, because there are just fewer beds and more referrals, Missouri and other states have really been struggling lately and kind of searching for solutions that um, acknowledge they might not ever be able to have enough beds for the people who need them. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned, Clara, that there is attention to this. Missouri's legislature has taken action on this problem, and it passed a new law this year, which you describe in your reporting as a system of jail-based competency restoration. You talked about uh, restoration earlier. What does jail-based mean um, when it comes to this this measure of competency restoration? Mm-hmm. So previously, the uh, mental health agency only had the authority, you know, statutorily to treat people in hospitals, the mm-hmm. arrested people um, who need competency restoration. This year that changed and now they're able to treat them in jails, um, detention centers, or in an outpatient basis in their own communities if they can be safely released. Um, so the part of that that got the most attention is the jail part, um, jail-based competency restoration, basically describes treatment going to the jails instead of people waiting there to be transferred to hospitals. Mm-hmm. So um, I think 2.5 million was set aside in the budget this year for programs in the major counties okay. here in Missouri. Um, but yeah, basically staff staff will be sent there, and they will fund uh, 10 beds in each of those facilities. It's um, St. Louis, St. Louis County, Jackson County, Clay County, and Greene County. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's a, a pilot program that they're hoping will reduce the wait list because they'll be able to send behavioral health staff um, and psychiatrists to the jails um, to provide treatment more quickly than if they were waiting for a bed to open up at mm-hmm. the hospital. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break here, but we will be back shortly to continue this conversation with Clara Bates, a reporter with the Missouri Independent. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio.
Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. Now, Clara, there is another variable here, and that's space. And um, before the break, you were talking uh, about sort of what has happened historically um, with the number of beds, why there aren't as many available. So the space to provide mental health treatment in state hospitals, it simply isn't there. How is it that officials are trying to solve that? Yeah, I think one important piece, um, in addition to just having fewer beds open, uh, the national trend away from institutionalization, kind of viewing it as a different carceral system, Mm -hmm. there's that piece. And then there's also the more recent workforce piece. Um, In Missouri, the Department of Mental Health has had really severe staffing issues and difficulties hiring, um, exacerbated during COVID, though, preceding them too. Um, And they hired during COVID a lot of contracted staff and just a lot of, um, there have been a lot of challenges. It's a very difficult job Mm -hmm. and the wages haven't always kept up with that difficulty. So that's been a huge problem. At the commission meeting that I attended last month, they said there's been some progress. Um, And the reason it's a problem is because even the beds they do have, they can't always fill because of staffing issues. Um, So at the commission meeting, though, they said that things have improved slightly and they were able to reopen one of the wards at Fulton State Hospital. And that was a 25 bed ward. So that, you know, that helps the people who are waiting in jails um, if there are these openings because of staffing issues being relieved. Um, But they did also say at the meeting that they're still struggling because a lot of the new staff are part time and they still have a lot of holes to fill. But um, that's important that they're trying still to be able to fill all of the beds that they do have that over the past few years they've really struggled with because of staffing issues. Mm-hmm. And something that did stand out to me um, was a quote from Nora Bach, the director of behavioral health, and she described this reduction, and you talked about this earlier too, that only eight months is, uh, quote, some good news. Uh, and she also said that none of that is really good in the big picture, but it is a decrease. Uh, And again, as you'd mentioned, they'll take the wins where they can get them. So from your perspective, Clara, is this a win or is it just a small bit of not bad news? You know, how big is this drop in, in that big picture bucket? I think it's interesting um, that it's trending lower and that they're attributing it to ameliorating these staffing issues, which we've really been hearing about uh, for the last year with the tight labor market and things. So if they think that that's changing and that they'll be able to staff those facilities more fully for the first time in a while, then that's a trajectory which we really haven't been hearing. Um, So that's an interesting change. And um, I think it will also be interesting to see how the legislation that we were talking about earlier will affect things. 
um, during the session, there were, you know, sheriffs from from various counties really arguing, you know, we need this program at our jail too. Like, it's an issue that's top of mind for a lot of them that they've been struggling with because their their staff aren't trained to help with this kind of treatment, and um, they've, you know, framed it as really burdensome to them to have these people languishing, waiting for treatment there. So um, I think it was interesting that a lot of people took note and then really advocated for the jail-based competency restoration to also be opened in their county. And so we'll be watching to see how that all unfolds and how that affects the wait time because that's really how it was um, characterized during this session as a a good option to ameliorate the wait time. And um, again, just seeing whether bringing treatment to jails will be effective in in helping many of those people who um, are in desperate need of treatment in order to have their trial at all. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, are otherwise just kind of waiting in this pre-trial limbo um, they're not, you know, serving time. They haven't been convicted of anything, um, and so the state is really hopeful that those weights will decrease. Mm-hmm. Now, Clara, your recent reporting has not been limited to Missouri's jails and prisons. You've also been taking a hard look at the state's Medicaid program. Last week, you reported that the state has removed some forty thousand children from its Medicaid program, with those removals coming between June and August. Why has that happened? The uh, federal government banned states from removing people from their Medicaid rules in almost all instances during COVID, uh, during the federal public health emergency, because um, they didn't want people to lose health coverage during that time. and. Before that, states were checking every year. They were rechecking the eligibility of everyone on their Medicaid rolls, which are low-income and disabled people on the federal health program. So um, states began rechecking those participants' eligibility just this year. Missouri first removed people from its rolls again in June, and since then, 49% of all the people who've lost Medicaid have been children. And um, so we haven't seen yet a ton of data, just three months. The process will take place over an entire year, so it'll go until uh, next summer. But advocates have been starting to raise concern that there are so many children losing health insurance. Mm -hmm. And that timing, it it really strikes me because that's before kids go back to school. I think about things like, you know, vaccinations and medical checkups and that sort of thing. You know, you found that in 77% of the cases where someone has lost Medicaid coverage, you know, many of them being children, that the reason was procedural. What does that mean, Clara? Procedural is generally the way states categorize what we might call paperwork issues. So, mm-hmm. If, um, if Missouri doesn't have enough information to renew your Medicaid automatically using other data that they have, they'll send you a letter and you have to submit information back to the state. Uh, those might be you know, proof of your wages, um, a lot of various paperwork. So um, if you don't get that letter from the state or if you get those forms but you don't understand them and so you don't return them, 
those would be categorized as procedural. Um, if for some reason the state doesn't receive your paperwork, even though you sent it, that's procedural. Um, another issue sometimes we hear about is people um, living in homeless shelters who may have moved in the last you know, three years during COVID or may just not have stable addresses, have a lot of difficulty getting the paperwork and then returning it. Um, so these are all kind of issues that predated COVID because you used to have to renew annually, but they're kind of coming up a lot now because the state has just a year to evaluate all 1.5 million people mm-hmm. on Medicaid, which is a quarter of the state's population. Yeah. And what is it that we know about how this is affecting kids and families? I spoke to one family earlier this summer, um, a mother of a child who has developmental disabilities, that's what qualifies her for Medicaid, Um, and she told me that she got the letter from the state and submitted all of her forms online in this new portal, but she never got confirmation that she submitted them, and then the state said, actually, we never got it, and you've lost Medicaid, and I think that, um, you know, even if she did submit them and somehow there was a mistake on her end, it shows just how complicated navigating the system can be and how it really can sort of upend your life um, when you find out that you've lost insurance. Um, We're also hearing elsewhere in the country that sometimes the first people even hear about it is at the pharmacy, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they no longer have coverage or like you mentioned at the pediatrician, they're just told actually you don't have health insurance anymore. Oh, that must be... (laughs) quite a harrowing experience. And just in the last 30 seconds, there has been a suggestion um, made that there be a pause on terminations while data is being evaluated. Do you know whether state officials are considering that? I haven't heard anything from state officials um, that they're considering that. That came from an advocate at Legal Aid here um, who is concerned. I should note too that uh, Missouri has the third highest rate of children being disenrolled after Texas and Kansas, although we only have data from 17 states. So yeah, advocates certainly are raising an alarm. Clara Bates covers social services and poverty for the Missouri Independent. You can find her reporting on our website at stlpr.org. Clara, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. 
Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.